right, if you have your Bibles, if you will turn to Daniel chapter 7. Once or twice a year, I get what so many other people have, and it starts up in my head and goes down here and out my nose and throat and all that stuff. And it, when I try to preach, it doesn't usually end well. And so I'm going to try to stay calm today and not get too loud, not get too excited. And you, you can help me with that, or you can get really excited yourself and give lots of amens, and I'll get excited, and we'll get out of here quicker, probably, because uh, my voice will give out. So I'm going to preach until I can't, or until the Lord says we're done, okay? <laughs> In Daniel chapter 1 through 6, we see lots of stories, right? The lion's den, the handwriting on the wall, the fiery furnace, and it's like it's stories, it's history, things that were told, um, events that happened previously. In chapters 7 through 12, there's a shift to prophecy, things not yet happened. Okay, and some are very specific for Daniel um, in Israel, that, that's coming to Israel, and some's more specific um, to the end times. And, and um, depending on the direction that God had us go for the entire book, we could have taken it different ways. But we're talking about being Christ-centered in Babylon. Okay? And so what we're going to do is, is we're going to hit on some of the apocalyptic things here in the next several chapters, but we're going to focus on what does that mean for me now, right? I fear sometimes as Christians we look too far ahead and we kind of set in a zone Kind of, kind of circle the wagons like, well, Jesus is coming back. we just got to hold on a little bit longer. And that's not what Christ has for us. Okay? He wants us to be a threat to the enemy today. Okay? And if that's to happen, then we've got to be Christ-centered. And we've got to focus um, on what He's doing now. And so what we're talking about this morning is present suffering, things that we go through now, suffering, which is different than opposition. Right? Opposition is, is like we saw last week, Daniel being thrown in the lion's den for his faith. Someone coming against you for your faith. Um, and, and certainly you can suffer in the midst of opposition. But listen, we suffer for a lot of different things, right? That, ha- that really has nothing to do with any outside force, any person coming against us. So present suffering, but future victory is what we're talking about. So in Daniel 7-8, through 8, listen, we're backtracking a little bit, okay? Um, if you look at things chronologically, Daniel chapter 7 and 8 is written after Nebuchadnezzar, right? after chapter 4, but it's written before chapters 5 and 6. Okay? So chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar's in command. Chapter 5, Belshazzar is in command. And and, um, chapter 5 ends with Persia coming in, right? And then Darius comes in, chapter 6, he's in command. Chapter 7 and 8, what we're looking at today, is before the handwriting on the wall and before the lion's den. Okay? Are you with me? So, so we're going to kind of backtrack a little bit. Um, so if you found this, if you would stand in the honor of the reading in God, of God's Word. Daniel chapter 7, we're going to begin in verse 9. Daniel says, As I looked, thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days, that's God, took His seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of His head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. 
a stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousands served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked in because the sound of the great word that the horn was speaking. We're going to talk about what that is in a minute. And as I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed, and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night's visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. In his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So, so in this vision, we're given, we're given just a snapshot um, of, of this overall vision. Chapter 7 and 8 is pretty much nothing but visions that Daniel is seeing. And we're going to look at part of the vision that he was given. Um, and I'm going to try to explain some things on the way. Um, but what would be very helpful if you have not done so already would be to go home and read chapters 7 and 8. Maybe jot a few notes as we're, as we're talking because I'm not going to read every little verse here. Um, but we're going to hint um, at, at several things. We're going to point towards several things. But I want to read the first eight verses so that we can see um, the main scope of this vision. And then I want to talk a little bit about that. And then I want to move into the main part of the text, um, um, the main part of the sermon. So Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. It says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. And he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four wings, or the four winds of heaven was stirring up the great sea. Listen to this vision he had. Sounds like a nightmare. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a, a second one, like a bear. It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another, like a leopard, with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads. And dominion was given to it. Dominion by God, by the way. Verse 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful, and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth that devoured or broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the other beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. I considered the horns. And behold, there came up another among them, another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Right, what, what in the world is going on with Daniel? I mean, he has these visions that don't, that don't make sense, but what God is going to do is God is going to reveal to Daniel what these, what these visions mean. And again, these, these visions are not history. He's not telling a story that happened. He's looking to the future. He's prophesying of some things that are going to happen. 
Alright, God is so gracious that He reveals things to His people um, so that we can be prepared, so that we can be ready. And so, I, I want to look at um, these four beasts that rise to the sea just very quickly before we move into the heart of the message. Listen, the first beast, it, it was like a lion, but had eagle's wings. That's how it's described. Now listen, this is Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Okay, I'm, I, I said we're looking forward to prophecy, but at this point, with the first beast, Daniel is looking behind. Okay, he's looking and he's, he's identifying um, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon as the lion that had the eagle's wings. If you look at Ezekiel and Jeremiah and you study those books of the Bible, um, here's how they describe Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. They describe him as a lion, as someone as ferocious as a lion and swift and fast as an eagle. That, that's how Jeremiah and Ezekiel describe Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. It talks about the wings that are plucked off and, a man, and, and the, the lifted up and given the mind of a man. Do you remember what happened in, that, in Daniel chapter 4 where it said that Nebuchadnezzar was, was crushed, he was, dri- he was driven down, everything was taken from him, plucked out of his hands, if you will, and he was, he was made crazy um, because he was so prideful. But then what happened whenever he came to his senses and he revealed who God was and he repented, what did it say? That God restored his mind. Okay, so the, the first beast um, is describes Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. If you, um, if you read on and you look at the second beast, what we just read, um, it's a description of the Medes and Persians who, again, they come in and take over at the end um, of Daniel chapter 5. This is an event that had not happened um, yet. It, the, if you read about this um, particular beast, it says that three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. Sounds a lot like the Persians with their in, insatiable nature and the dominance of their empire. Okay, the third beast Here's what it says. It says, looks like a leopard. It has four wings of a bird and four heads. And if, and if, if we were to look back now in history, this very clearly um, describes Greece and Alexander the Great. He rose up out of nowhere and he conquered with a speed and an agility that was unprecedented. Um, Daniel chapter 8, if you look at the visions there, it's talking about Persia and Greece. And listen, I know this is a lot to follow, but, but in, in um, verse... Um, 5 of, of Daniel chapter 8, Alexander the Great in Greece is described as a goat whose feet didn't even touch the ground. Okay, um, Again, us looking back at history, the, the swiftness in which Alexander the Great rose out of nowhere and, and didn't even touch the ground, uh, or, or, or um, um, the, the speed that he conquered and was like, a, like his feet weren't even touched the ground. He was, just, he, was, he was conquering. Alexander the Great died suddenly at age 33, and his kingdom was broken up into, you guessed it, four kingdoms. Okay, he's talking about the four heads here um, that, that God is telling Daniel is going to happen before it even happened. The first kingdom um, was, was, given, was, was made Greece and Macedonia. The second kingdom, Thrace and much of Asia Minor. The third kingdom, Syria, Babylon, much of the Middle East. The fourth kingdom, Egypt and Palestine. Okay, these are the four heads. The four kingdoms that's broken up from um, Alexander the Great. And listen, the fourth beast is described as being incredibly strong with large iron teeth. And, and it's described as having ten horns that would have represented greatness or completeness, without a doubt, talking about the Roman Empire, who came with their with their with their um, shields of, of iron and their weapons of iron and, and just the the dominance that they had. It talked about an eleventh horn, and if you look at that eleventh horn, listen, that that very closely mirrors resembles Revelation chapter thirteen. There's the same wording there that talks about the Antichrist that rises. The power at the at the end at the, at the very end, and certainly types of antichrists have have come. 
um, such as Hitler, and, and we can trace people in history, types of antichrists, but Scripture points to one final threat. That's like a lot, right? Like, you could have spent the whole hour there, and, and you're probably scratching your heads. Go home and read it. Um, it'll, it'll make a little bit more sense. But listen, chapter 8 is going to continue, but the focus, again, is going to be on Persia and Greece with these visions that he's having. Listen, as you read this, and, and as, if we were to read this whole chapter, and when you go home and read this whole chapter, you get the impression that Daniel is deeply troubled by this. Up to this point, threats don't seem to bother him. Okay, chapter 1, he's threatened by death. Chapter 6, he's threatened by death. It doesn't bother him. These threats, his, his own life, it doesn't bother him. He's thrown into the lines and it doesn't faze him. This vision that he has suddenly does. And what's interesting is Daniel wouldn't even be alive to see the fulfillment of the vision. So listen, he's not going to be persecuted himself. He's not going to face the opposition himself. Yet he suffered. Sort of this internal suffering. You know, we can suffer over a lot of things, right? Like if something bad happens to you, it, it's bad. If it happens to your spouse, it's worse. If it happens to your kid, it's worse of the worst. Right? Like, like we can we struggle with all sorts of things, like not necessarily in opposition, people persecuting us because of our faith. Like we all go through difficult times, hard, hard times. And the question becomes, what can we learn about suffering from Daniel 7 and 8? And what, what hope is there? What hope does Daniel 7 and 8 give us for the future? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about present suffering, future victory. You guys with me? Okay, number one. Here's what we can know about present suffering. Number one, God's people are not exempt from suffering. God's people are not exempt from suffering. In fact, praise the Lord that He tells us we will. You say, what do you mean? Well, listen, if He didn't tell us we'd suffer, and then we'd start su- and we started suffering, listen, we'd wonder, what am I doing wrong? Listen, God's people are not exempt from suffering. Daniel here, he seems to have it all together. Again, he's not afraid of the lion's den. He's not afraid of the king. But God keeps blessing him everywhere he turns. Right? Like in Daniel chapter 1, he, he was like with the elite in Babylon. Okay, Daniel chapter 4, um, he, he's, risen to, he's risen to power even higher. Daniel chapter 5, he's like in retirement. A new king's there that doesn't, doesn't put him in power until he interprets a dream that he had. And then he's third in command. Daniel chapter 6, he, he's one of the top three rulers in, in Babylon. And, and King Darius, who's the Persian, has plans to make him number one in the entire, entire province. Like Daniel, he seems to have it going on. Yet he's not exempt from suffering. You can look at this later, but in, in verse 1, he gets a vision. In verse 15, he's suffering anxiety because of this vision. In verse 28, it says that he's greatly alarmed and his color changes because of the suffering from this vision. Like, like my color's changed a few times um, and it's, it's never good for me, right? Like my skin is just white enough that I don't ever get a tan, right? Like I, I, I get, I get um, crispy 
One time I got burned so bad that the doctor said I had sun poisoning, whatever that means. That's when my color changes. Or, or like this one time I had the bright idea when I was in youth ministry that I was going to race a 7th grade girl through one of those inflatable obstacle courses. Alright, um, three, two, one, go. I, I get ready to plant, I jump, and I land on my ankle, and it does this weird roll, and it looks like I got a, a baseball on the side of my ankle. It just grew that quick. And they said I was white as a ghost. I was about to pass out. Another time, another time my color changed. Um, I had stitches in my hand for a separate injury, and my mom decides that we're not going to the doctor, that she's just going to cut it out with her hair scissors um, at home. Again, they said I'm white as a ghost. You know, times when I'm sick as a dog, right? Um, when, when stuff's coming out from all over the place, um, that's when my color changes. I, I have not experienced a color change that was good. And here Daniel is. I mean, he is greatly alarmed. His color changes because of the suffering he has from this vision. Um, chapter 8, verse 17 talks about how he frightened he was from this vision. Chapter 8, verse 27 says that he was sick for days and appalled because of the vision. See, Daniel is greatly disturbed. He's, he's suffering. Have you been there? I got a text this week um, from some friends going through, had gone through miscarriages, um, looked like going through another miscarriage. And the question was, why do we praise God why do, why do we praise God for the good and not hold Him responsible when something bad happens? Like a, like a genuine question right? Like that we all have. Like when something happens and, and we're trying to do things right and we suffer anyway. Have you been there? For the Christ follower, life isn't always tulips and daisies. Like Daniel, he's... He's following God. He's a follower of God. But he's suffering right alongside the wicked in Babylon. And what, what causes suffering? A few years ago, I had a senior adult, precious lady in my office, who had, who had experienced some, some really, really traumatic sicknesses. Um, and she said, I pray every day. I spend time in the Word every day. Try to live my life for the Lord every day. I love the Lord. What am I doing wrong? You ever had that, that thought? I must be doing something wrong because I'm suffering. It, it, it is true. Listen, sometimes we do suffer for wrong. Like there are consequences for our actions, right? Like if you decided you're going to get blind drunk and go get in your car and drive and you hit someone, you, you're going to be paying that, that consequence for the rest of your life. Okay, like, like sometimes we suffer because of what we do. Sometimes it's decisions that we make, um, but sometimes it has nothing to do with us. What if, what if you're on the backside of that? What if, you, what if you're out going for a jog and someone was blind, drunk, hit you? You weren't doing anything, trying to be healthy. Oh, you didn't do anything wrong. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. So, so why, why do we suffer? Can I tell you, sometimes it's our consequences. Sometimes it has nothing to do with us, but the fact that we live in a fallen world, and everything's been fractured. I mean, everything. Right? So, like, there's no longer just wine, there's drunkenness. Right? There's no longer sex, but there is um, um, homosexuality and adultery and, and pornography and all these things. 
right? Sin has fractured everything. And you can do everything right and not, not get out of suffering in this world that we live in because sin has tainted it and destroyed everything. And so what Daniel and all of Scripture helps us understand is that God's people are not exempt from suffering. And again, I will say I'm so glad that he tells us that because I don't have to worry if I'm doing something wrong. I don't have to worry um, if I've sinned in some way and God is punishing me. We suffer because we're in a broken world and God's people are not exempt. Present suffering. Number two, God gives us what we need when we suffer. And we're going to see that God gives us what we need when we suffer. So look at verse 1. Um, we're going to see that He gives us a word, right? Verse 1, it says, In the fourth year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in bed. Then he wrote down the dream and he told the sum of the matter. Listen, we, we are here reading this. We are getting a word today because Daniel suffered and God gave him a word. Listen, God gives us what we need. He gives us a word. And in fact, He gives us the word. Okay? He gives us the word when we suffer. Um, listen to this. You can write these down. You don't have to try to turn there because you're not fast enough. All right, I'm going to give you a lot, of, a lot of verses. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Listen to what it says. It says, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake and in my flesh. I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of the body of His church. Now listen, if you read this on, on your own, you're like, what does it mean that, that I'm filling up what was lacking in Christ's affliction? What, what could have lacked? In Christ's affliction on the cross for me. Listen, nothing but in our suffering, we paint a picture of the sufficiency of Christ to a world that does not know Him, that did not see the cross, that, that never experienced Jesus. Right? So we were able to, to put on paper, to paint on the canvas of life, what the sufficiency of Christ in, in our suffering. If you go down to verse 29 um, of that same verse, it says, For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that powerfully works within me. I'll give you what you need during suffering. Um, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious. Anybody suffer from anxiety? I mean, don't, don't raise, you don't have to raise your hand, but, but I'm talking about not just, not just a little anxious, but like clinical anxiety that keeps coming back that you can't get over. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. So listen, we pray. We ask God to heal. We ask God to take this. We ask God to do this. Look what the promise is. Look at verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So He doesn't always remove the suffering. But He guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, which is the safest place it could be. Let, let's, let's read on. Um, Romans chapter 5. I don't want to cheat you. I'm going to try to get through these. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit He's given us. So again, listen, our suffering produces something. You know, I was talking about talking about this last week, that, that everything that we've gone through with Catherine, like that, that's probably the most I've suffered in my life. Like seeing my child um, sick, and, and then she's going to die, and then she's not going to die, and, and then they, they heal her, but oh, but her legs are gone. And, and then seeing her struggle and adjust to that, most suffering, listen, I would not trade her legs for the closeness that God has, has brought to us as He's walked hand in hand through everything that we have gone through. Listen, I heard, I heard pastors say that and I thought they were out of their mind. I've heard Christians say, the suffering was worth where I am with Christ. I thought they were out of their mind until it happened. And the love that He poured out and what He produced as a result of all that made our hearts come alive in ways that we had not known, that we'd only read about in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 1, 3. I haven't read this one, have I? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy. We sang about that. And God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we are abundantly in comfort too. He gives us all we need. 2 Timothy 1.8 Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me of the prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. There's the power again that we don't experience outside of suffering. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7-10 so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, this is Paul talking, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being, becoming conceited. Now, let me just stop there. Let me tell you about my thorn, alright? It wasn't here, but we had a... I was about to say sweet old lady, because that's how I always start when I'm talking about my senior adults, but she wasn't. She wasn't a sweet old lady. Alright? In fact, she, she was a member of the church, but whoever, whoever, she, whoever would listen to her, and listen, people stopped hanging around with her because it's how she was. Whoever would listen to her, she would slander me too. Alright? There's one time um, I had been so sick, you know, you know the, the stuff where everything's coming out everywhere, and you know how if you feel like the day or two after, you're so weak? Right? And so we slid the pulpit out, and I, and I sat in a chair and preach Bill Zadro style. And I explained, hey, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm still not 100%, I'm not feeling good, but I'm, I'm going to preach today. And, and she made a beeline for me, I could see her coming. Shaking hands at the end. Pastor, some of us don't like that you took out the pulpit. What do you do? Here's my favorite. Um, you know, I, I, I preached a hard sermon, been true to the text. The Spirit of God moved. We came back to church that night, and we're talking. We just people were just talking, you know, so kind of saying hello before the service started in the evening. And some guy said, "Oh, Pastor, that was one of the greatest sermons I'd ever heard." Right? And, and that's Paul talks about being conceited. I was like, "Well, thanks, thanks." And this lady, she overhears in the background. 
And she says, I don't think so. I don't agree with anything you ever say. Born in the flesh. Okay, I want you to get the, get the picture in your mind. Verse 8 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should, be, that it should leave me. I pleaded a lot more than that. Look what he says. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of that weakness. My weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. But when I'm weak, then I'm strong. God does something in our suffering. And part of that, listen, is so that others could be drawn and see the power of God. But every time, every time, what He's doing in our hearts as we go through that. If we could just get our eyes off ourselves for a second and keep our eyes on Him. What, what He does in that moment is worth the suffering. He gives us, he gives us what we need. And part of that is His Word. C.S. Lewis. I love C.S. Lewis. Um, here's, what he, here's, how, here's what happened to C.S. Lewis. His mother died when he was young. After that, his father kind of just emotionally abandoned him. He suffered from a respiratory illness as a teen. He fought and was wounded in World War I. He buried his wife much earlier than, than she probably should have been buried. Here's, what he, here's the words that he penned. Pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks to us in our conscience, but He shouts in our pain. It's His megaphone to a death, to, to rouse a deaf world. It's like in, in the pain, His voice is the loudest. Listen, I can promise you, having gone through three miscarriages with, with my wife, having gone through the ups and downs of foster and adoption, you're going to get her. You're not going to get her. She's yours. Oh wait, she's not yours. Oh, a family member's come in. Out of all these things, ups and downs of every, all these, out of um, having a terminally ill child who was healed but lost her legs, after watching my wife grieve from losing her father um, two years this coming Saturday, um, ha having the stories, hearing the things that she had said, having lost her mother at age 12. Listen, I can promise you, having gone through these things, that the Word will never be sweeter um, nor clearer than when we read it in light of our suffering. He gives us what we need. And part of what we need, what our souls need, is saturation of the Word as we walk through suffering. He gives us what we need. He gives us the Word, but He gives us something else. Listen, He gives, us, he gives others to stand by us in our suffering. If, if you flip over and look at Daniel chapter 8, verse 15, um, this is after another, another series of visions, two years, again, that point to Persia and Greece, their invasion. Um, here's what Dan, it says in verse 15. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. Don't you sometimes, like when you're suffering, don't you just want to know why? He, he seeks to understand it. Behold, there stood before me one, having the appearance of man, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So Gabriel came near where I stood. When he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. He said to me, Understand, O son of man, the vision is for the time of the end. 
And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. So listen, God gives us what what we need. He gives us others to stand by us. Here, it's an angel, but you read over and over and over and over and over in the New Testament. And listen, I can give you tons of more verses if you don't believe me. Um, But in the New Testament, we read that who he gives us to stand by us is fellow believers. Hey, let me give you just two so I don't bore you with all these verses. James chapter 5, um, verse 13. Listen to what it says. Well, here's who He gives us. If, if, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law. Christ. See, we are given others to stand with us, and it's one of the tools that God uses to help us in our suffering. You want to know why the mission statement is such a big deal that we exist to connect people to Jesus? And you want to know why the primary strategy, you know, his truth, his family, his mission, um, why, why small groups' primary strategy? Because it is in that context. People who know you and share in your suffering and carry your burdens and gather around you and pray over you. And to neglect that is to neglect one of the primary tools that God has given us to help us in our suffering. You want to know why covenant membership is such a big deal to us? Because we, we, we gather underneath the umbrella of God's Word. And God's Word says this is how we are to, to operate as sons and daughters of Christ. And this is how we are to interact with one another. And it's something it's, it's a way to hold each other accountable. You're not going to fall by the wayside without me fighting the enemy to make sure you don't do, throw your life away. But you're not going to do something to destroy your life, your marriage, your kids without, me, without getting through me. And getting through 400 other people. Otherwise, we're just anonymous. He gives us others to stand by us. It's what He gives us to thrive. You'll have a hard time surviving suffering on your own. I got to preach this week at the convention. Um, One of the the highlights, personally, of 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 my preaching, right? was getting to stand on that stage in front of in our, our convention and to, and to preach. And I was re- I've been really excited about it since I got the invitation. Um, I was really excited as it was approaching, confident in what God wanted me to say until I got, until like a an hour before I got up. And then really bad like like I don't, I couldn't tell you what the person before me said, what passage, what anything cuz I couldn't even hear him because my heart was beating so loud. Right? Like, like I don't get nervous. Like this, I'm, I'm up here, I'm not nervous. I don't get nervous in front of people. So I, I naturally just thought I was having a heart attack. Like I, I got to be thinking, you know, I'm going to be the first preacher in the history of the convention to kill over at, at, from a heart attack, stand up here. I'm not, I'm not even going to get to do what I've been wanting to do. My palms are sweaty. I feel like I'm about to black out. But you, but you know what? God gave me a wife that was right beside me. 
that she just pat me. And Judd prayed over me like he does every week that the Spirit of God would, would descend and speak and do great things. Brett, Brett Selby, he is the, he's, he's the over pastoral ministry um, with the BGCO. He said the highlight of this year was hearing a lay leader pray over his pastor. Keith Wigginson, First Baptist Claremore, he, he was here and he spoke that night. We did um, um, the, the, the new pastor coming in, remember that? Um, he, he was the one that he invited me to preach. And so I, I go set by him, really just wanting an encouraging word. And here's the encouragement. I didn't ask him, but here's what he told me. Go have fun. And you guys, and I can't tell you the number of texts I got, you know, the hour leading up, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. About 20, and, and I, I mean, the staff, the staff were there. Um, the staff was there. Scott was in, left his, I mean, listen to what Scott did. He leaves his singing churchman rehearsal to come hear me preach, as if he did, doesn't hear me enough, right? Throughout the week and, and Sunday. And all, all of that took about 20 seconds before the Spirit of God just settled in in such a sweet way and the Word of God was preached. That's what, that's what He gives us. He gives us Listen, He gives us not what we think we want, but He gives us what we need. Now listen, that, that's present suffering, right? For we will. That, that's present suffering. But I want to just very quickly, I want to look at the future victory. Alright? Present suffering, suffering now, but I want to look at future victory. Okay, this brings us to point number three. Number three, the King is coming. The king's coming. Um, I've, I've read multiple scholars this week as I'm preparing for Daniel chapter 7. And honestly, I've, I've been scared of this, of this Daniel 7 and 8. I've been scared coming into this um, just because of the weight here. Um, I've, I've read multiple scholars that call Daniel chapter 7 the single most important chapter in all the Bible. That'll scare you. Because you go in thinking, oh, I've got this sermon. I'm, I'm ready to preach this. I, I, I had an idea. And then you read in the commentary, hey, by the way, this is the single most important chapter in all of the Bible. Like multiple commentaries say that. And even within that, they say that these two verses I'm about to read are the most important verses in all of Daniel. But listen, don't miss this. Look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. Don't miss this. What scholars say, the most, the most important chapter, the most important verses in all the Bible. Daniel 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one, like the Son of Man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before Him. And to Him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in His kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. That's good. Once you understand the context of what's happening. In this vision, Daniel has just been revealed to that there's going to be four kingdoms coming. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. 
and then the Antichrist. And they're all coming to an end. And, and there is one kingdom. There's one kingdom here. Um, the earthly kingdoms, are, they're, they're going to rule for a while, but it's not, it's not forever. There's one above the clouds. He, he looks and he sees this vision. And then he looks up above it, above the clouds. There's, a, there's something heavenly. It's a vision of a kingdom greater than any others. It says that He's coming on the clouds of heaven, which points to His divinity. It says that He is the Son of Man, which points to His humanity. Over all kingdoms and people, nation, language, a king was coming that was different than any other. And can I tell you, can I tell you that that king came? Hundreds of years. Listen, if the Pharisees would have just read Daniel chapter 7, they would have known that, that Jesus was coming. They would have known that the Son of Man, that it was God and man, they would have known that. You know, they said, oh, there's only one God. He's one. And, and listen, we understand the Trinity, God the Father, God and the Holy Spirit. Apparently they didn't. But there was a king that was coming and he came. He was born of a virgin. He, he, he was born in a stable. Not, not a place fit for a king. But he was a king nonetheless. And he grew up. He didn't sin. He wasn't like you and me. He suffered like you and me. And He was tempted like you and me. But His obedience to the Father was complete in a way that ours can't be. Because we're tainted by sin. And He healed and did miracles and He taught. And ultimately, He died on the cross. And in His suffering, He licked the two things that we never will. Sin like that. Death, like that, as He rose from the grave. The King, He came. And listen, He's coming again. Revelation chapter 22, verse 7, just 7a, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. Um, if, you, if you back up a chapter to Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 through 4, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth to pass away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, like it was in, in the beginning, like it was in the Garden of Eden, like, what, like it was meant to be. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there, there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The King is coming. Listen, the King is coming. He came. He died. He ascended. He's coming back. And with that is an end to all of our suffering. There's not an end now. But there is an end coming. The King is coming. And number four. I mean, I just, I just think it keeps getting better. Number four. We will reign with Christ. We, His children, will reign with Christ. You see, your suffering, it has a limit. Your suffering will one day end. If you look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 12, look what it says. It says, as, as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away. 
but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. If you look at verse 23, it says, Thus he said, as the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall rise, but another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down the three kings. It's talking about the, the, the Antichrist. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. You ever felt like that? Worn out? It says He will wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times of the law. And they shall be given into His hand for a time. And times. And half a time. Listen, when we reign with Christ, suffering that feels so permanent now will no longer be. No longer be. You know, you ever wonder why faith, hope, and love um, exist? You know, faith, faith, hope, and love remain. But the greatest is love. You ever want to know why? Why is, why is it greater than hope? Why is it greater um, than faith? One day, we're going to stare in the face the object of our faith. The object that we hoped in. And we won't need it anymore. Because we're staring Him right in the face. Greatest is love. That's all. That's all. When He comes. That's what it's going to be like. Suffering feels permanent, but it's not. Listen to what Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Talking about suffering, it says, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We sing about that. For this light, momentary affliction. How do you describe yours? Paul, who's been beaten in prison. Ultimately, history tells us that he was beheaded. All, all these horrible things that had um, um, his own people turned on him. He was constantly in danger. He knew what it was like to have stuff, and he knew what it was like to have nothing. He knew what it was like to, to be full, to, to completely go hungry. Listen, he describes his, his suffering as light, momentary affliction. Listen, verse 17, this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. See, the promises that we read about in Revelation that He would return and wipe away every tear from our eyes. Listen, that promise we just read about in Revelation shows um, this to be true. That suffering is temporary. It feels permanent, but it's not. Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. Listen to what it says. And the kingdom, and the dominion, and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. You know what that means? That we rule with Christ. Can you, can you imagine that day? People, people always... They say genuinely, um, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, why did this happen? I I'm not interested in why. Why 2016 was a bad year for me when I'm in the presence of God. 
people say, I can't wait to see my dad or my mom or my grandpa or my spouse. And Listen, I want to see them. But I'm ready to see Jesus. I love, I love, I can only imagine the song. It's been one of my favorites. Surrounded by his glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? I've wondered that. I feel like in heaven I'll have more rhythm than I do down here. Will I dance? For you, Jesus, for in all of you, just be still. While I stand in your presence and honor, to my knees will I fall. Will I sing? You know me, I'm probably not going to be able to say anything. Will I be able to even speak at all? I'll be a blubbering mess. No tears in heaven. I'm probably going to see him first on the outside because you know I'm, I'm an emotional guy. He's going to wipe them off for the last time. I can only imagine what it's going to be like when we reign with Christ. One of the things that we want to do most is to understand why when we suffer. Why is this happening? Daniel didn't understand and suffering in chapter 8, verse 27, the last verse of chapter 8. After he's been given the vision, after it's been shown to him what the vision means, that's what it says. I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and still did not understand it, even God, even when God reveals it to him. You know, I, I think we're the same, that if God were to show us why we suffered and why we went through what we did and and, you know, I just want to know why. Why? If he were to tell us, I still don't know that we'd fully understand because his ways are not our, our ways. His thoughts are not ours. Listen, we don't have to understand. We don't understand. But here's what I'm certain of. A God who loves me so much that he gave his one and only son. That though I was born in sin and separated from God like all humanity, but it was the purchase of His blood on the cross that redeemed me and brought me back. And if you're a believer here this morning, the story is same for you, the same for you. I'm certain of a God who loves me and is a good, good Father who gives good gifts to His kids. And He has promised a sufficient grace and undeniable comfort that I've felt in my darkest hour. See, He sees our hurts. His timing is perfect. And when the time comes to set beside Him, we'll agree. Believers are not exempt from suffering. He gives us what we need during suffering. The King is coming back. And we will reign with Him. And listen, knowing all these things, this allows us to be Christ-centered in the middle of suffering. We just, we just keep our eyes on Christ. Um, we, we be Christ-centered in the middle of suffering. And in that moment, that moment, that life, momentary suffering that we go through, listen, our suffering there has a purpose. And that purpose is to show the sufficiency of Christ. He gave us the grace we need to suffer well. He's coming back for us and will reign with Him.
Let's pray. God, we're grateful for your word. Your word that's sharp. And God, I, I know, I know that we have all suffered, or we're suffering now, or if we haven't yet, we, we will we will in the future. We don't get out of this life without suffering. But God, I thank you that for your grace and your presence that's there. And God, I just want to take a moment now to pray for people in this room that are suffering, um, maybe with health or, or maybe some loss of a child or maybe um, maybe a, a child in rebellion or maybe a spouse um, that doesn't know you. There's, there's so many different things that we suffer um, about. I just want to take a moment to pray for those who are hurting now. The Word talks about that our sorrow lasts for a night, the joy comes in the morning. Some. Some nights it feels like we live in Alaska, like the night just keeps going on and on and on. For, for the person that's here that's suffering that way, God, I pray an extra measure of grace for them today. Like Elisha prayed whenever he was taken over for Elijah, God, I pray that you'll give them a double portion of your spirit to sustain them today. Thank you that you give us the body to suffer together. May we do that well, loving each other, encouraging each other, all, all the time looking for your return and doing whatever we can to prepare to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us be faithful now because we know you're coming. We ask that you come quickly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.